Well, good morning. Welcome to Journey Church. My name is Scott. I'm, I'm the lead pastor here, and I just want to echo what Mitchell said to you. If, if you are visiting with us this morning for the first time, or maybe the first or second time, thank you for, for joining us. Thank you for taking a, about an hour out of your Sunday to, to connect with us. Our hope here is that we have an opportunity to encounter Jesus, to take next steps with him, and to follow him together in this place. And, and it's just nice to be, to be back. I know it's been a, a kind of a few weeks, and if, especially if you haven't been here since before Christmas, it might feel like it's been a month or so since we've been together um, to worship, been together to come under the Word of God, just simply to have been together. But, but if I'm honest, I want to just say that, that last week when we took a Sabbath Sunday, like a true Sabbath on the Sabbath, it was, it was good for me and, and for my family, and I hope that it was for you as well. I also hope that there wasn't anybody that showed up here at 10 o'clock. I'm sorry if that happened. I apologize. See me after church. I will buy you a cup of coffee or something. I will owe you, owe you something. But um, I hope that it was an opportunity for you to lean into um, the, the presence of Jesus, into a, a rhythm of stopping and resting and delighting and worshiping. I know it was for, for me and for my family, but it, it didn't come without some intentional conversation, some intentional prayer. And it actually just, it actually, it felt weird and challenging for a, a little bit of it. It took some getting used to. To be really honest, I think it was the first time where we set aside 24 hours to deliberately just Sabbath. And that doesn't mean we don't like take time off, but, but to really be intentional with that 24 hours to, to decide these are the things we're going to stop doing. These are the things that we, the ways that we're going to rest. These are the things that we want to delight in. And this is how we're going to experience worship and, experience, and express gratitude to God in, in this. And so it, hopefully it was something that you had a chance to lean into uh, that it wasn't just a Sunday off. It wasn't just something we do once a year. But it, my hope and our hope truly is that this was a chance for us to build in this type of rhythm the way it was intended once a week. And that, and that this Sunday morning doesn't replace the Sabbath, but it just becomes part of how you build in a time of, of stopping, resting, delighting. And worshiping together. And if you, as you head into a, a new year, maybe this is something you want to try to add into what you're doing in the new year. If you're like me, maybe you take some time at the end of, of each year to, to just simply reflect, to look back on the year, to think of the, of the good things and the bad things, the, the ways that you want to grow, the ways maybe you want to change, the ways that you maybe want to pursue the Lord. And maybe that's one way that you might add into that. As a church, we, we tried We've tried to do that, and we've done that occasionally. In fact, we did that in, in September. I don't know if, if you were here or not, but, but in September, we talked about who we are, and we kind of redefined like, who we are and what we want to be about, that we, as a church, that we are a family, and that as a family, we will follow Jesus together. And then the things that we want to be about, they're the things that are listed on there, our family sign over here, that we want to trust the word of God, that we want to listen to the Holy Spirit, that we want to honor the the Imago Dei, the image of God in one another, that we want to care for our community, and then we want to introduce people to Jesus. And I tell you that now because as we lean into a new year, as we head into a new year, these are the things that we want to be about. This is, this is our vision and, and our mission and, and where we're pointing towards and where we're going in this year of following Jesus together and, and allowing these things to be the things that we want to be about. And we're excited to see what the Lord will do as, as we press into his presence and as we continue to lean into each of these in the year to come. Now, this morning, again, it's been a, a few weeks, but we're going to continue in, in our series in John's gospel, the gospel according 
to John. And, and if you were here um, in December, you know that we kind of left off in John chapter 6. And, and a lot of things happened in John chapter 6. We were, I was looking at it a, couple, a few days ago with my, with my family, and, and, and we just realized that John chapter 6 was long. There was a lot of stuff in there. If you remember, Jesus, uh, he fed 5,000 with, with loaves of bread and, and fish. And then he, he walked on water as his disciples were trying to, to cross the, the Sea of Galilee. And then once they got to the other side, the crowds kind of came after Jesus. And, and they just simply wanted more, right? They wanted more of, of this bread. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the bread that comes down from heaven. And they were like, yeah, give us more of this bread. And Jesus says, well, if you want more, you're going to have to consume it. And, and he gave this really hard teaching where he said, if you want to consume this, you're going to have to eat my flesh and, and drink my blood because I am the bread of life. And, and this was hard. I mean, just for even to say it out loud in, in a crowd, it's like hard to say and it's hard to understand. It was hard for, even for his disciples at that time. And many of them they laughed. Many of them turned around and went the opposite direction. They couldn't understand. They couldn't take in and they couldn't do what Jesus was asking them to do. But there were 12 disciples that were still there. And Jesus said, so are you going to leave as well? And Peter says, Lord, where, where would we go? <laughs> You've got the words of life. And that's where we pick up in John chapter 7 today. So if you brought your Bible, I encourage you to open up to John chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 1. If you didn't happen to bring a Bible, the words will be up on the screen, or I'm sure you could download an app really fast if you needed to. But here's what it says in John chapter 7, starting in verse 1. John says, after this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea, so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore Jesus said to them, My time is not yet here. For any time, or for you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival, I'm not going to this festival, because my time is not yet fully come. And he said, after he said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, in pu not publicly, but in secret. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? Among the crowd, there were widespread whispering about him. Some said, he is a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. Now, or not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There's nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? You are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. 
who is trying to kill you? And Jesus said to them, I did one miracle, and you, all, and you are all amazed. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though it actually did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now, if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may, be, may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. Now here, Jesus doesn't tell us, or John doesn't tell us this, but this is actually six months or so, approximately six months later than, than what we read in John chapter 6. Here, John points out that the the festival of the tabernacles was upon them. And this festival of tabernacles that takes place in in October, takes place in the fall. And yet in chapter 6, we know that that it was the time of of Passover, a different festival, but a a festival nonetheless that took place in the spring. So there's this about six months difference between the two. Now these festivals, we, we don't even really have a, a, like an understanding of what this would totally be like. We have our Robin Hood festival, which, which is fine and great, but it lasts a handful of days and a few people come and participate. But, but these festivals, there were three of them. There was the festival of Passover and Pentecost and the festival of the tabernacles. And each lasted seven to eight full days. And thousands of people would travel hundreds of miles to Jerusalem in order to celebrate this festival. And so that this is what was taking place right here, and John was pointing it out, that the Festival of Tabernacles was, was near, and we'll get an understanding of why that was important as we continue to look at, at this passage. But what was interesting about the Festival of Tabernacles was that it celebrated both the harvest, right? It was in the fall, so it was celebrating all the, the fruitfulness of the harvest, but it also celebrated God's faithfulness. In the festival of the tabernacles, they, they remembered the time when Israel traveled through the wilderness, when the Lord was with them by a, a, cl- a cloud by day and, and fire by night. And in that season in the wilderness, they lived in, in tents or they lived in small tabernacles. And so for this seven to eight day period, they would house themselves. They would come to Jerusalem and they would build their own little tents out of, out of tarps and out of sticks. And they would live and eat and sleep in these tents. I think it's where we get the idea of family camp. But either way, it, it's how they celebrated God's faithfulness in that festival. And what's interesting in, in this passage is that we get a rare glimpse into Jesus's family. Here, in one of very few places, we actually see Jesus's brothers. They don't, John doesn't name them by name, but he, we see his brothers, and they are encouraging Jesus to go to this festival of tabernacles. And they, they say, go because you are, are making disciples. They see that Jesus is doing special things. They see some of the amazing things that he has done, the words that he is teaching. They see the, the crowds that are, that are following him. And it's like, they say, go and, and build your platform. Go and, and increase your influence. Go and, and raise up more people, more disciples. Get more power. But what's fascinating is what the John points out that his brothers do not believe in him. They tell him to do all these things, but, but they do not believe in him. And when John says that they do not believe in him, what he means is that they don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, we've been talking a lot about believe over the last handful of months. In fact, the words were probably up there. It's like, come and, and believe has been the theme of what we've been talking about. And so when his brothers did not believe in him, it, it, that means that they didn't believe that, that this was true, that Jesus was 
was the Messiah. They didn't believe the facts and the truth about it. They also did not put their hope and their faith in Jesus, their, their trust in him. They didn't have this confident hope in him. And there wasn't fidelity. There wasn't a commitment to Jesus. Not Jesus the brother, but, but Jesus the anointed and promised Messiah King. You see, at this point, his brothers were just brothers. They weren't yet disciples of Jesus. Now for me, this is, I think this is both astounding and, and understandable. It's astounding because here are, are these men, these brothers who had spent their entire life with Jesus and they'd probably always known that he was a little bit different, that there was something special about him, whether it was something amazing that he did or said or an experience that they had with him. It seems like they would have seen enough to be able to say, yeah, this, is, this guy is, is different. This, my brother could possibly be the Messiah. And yet I feel like it's understandable as well because as brothers, having grown up with Jesus, spending their life with Jesus, they, they know that he's just one of them. He's just an, another man in some ways. He, he eats, he drinks, he works, he sleeps, he burps, he does all of the things that, that these guys would do, right? And, and yet they still like, this is just my, this is just my brother. I, I mean, I have three brothers. I think it would take a lot to convince me that one of them was, was the anointed and, and Messiah King. And, and so I understand, this is, this is understandable what, what they were feeling about Jesus. So Jesus responds to his brothers. And that was in verses six through eight, where he says, my time is not yet here. For you have, for you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. So go to the festival. I am not going to this festival because my time has not yet come. And here in this short passage, in this, this short statement by Jesus, he talks about two things. He talks about timing and he talks about the world. Now we're going to talk about the world first because in, in when Jesus says the world here, he, he could mean one of, of three things. He could mean like the, the actual world creation and all that is within it, like what we read about in Psalm 24 when it says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So like when he says the world, it could mean just all of creation. The other way it could be taken was that the world means like the population, all of humanity, men, women, children, like this is the world, like John three sixteen. for God so loved the world, all people. Like we, we see that that's another way that he could have meant world. But the third way that he could have, we could understand world as he said it is a cultural and social practice or cultural and social practices and norms that are opposed to God. And what it means is like, this is just kind of the way the world works. Not the way it was intended to work, but the way the world works right now in its broken state. This is, this is the world, the, the social, cultural practices and norms that are opposed to God. And so in here, in this verse, when Jesus uses the word world, when he says the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil, he was talking about this third meaning the social and cultural practices and norms that are opposed to God. The question I had is, why can't the world hate his brothers, right? Like he says, the world cannot hate you. And the reason is because they don't belong to Jesus. They don't follow Jesus. They don't believe in Jesus. But what's clear in Jesus' own words is that the world does hate 
him. And not to give too much away, because we'll get there in, in a few months when we get to chapter 15, but, but the world will hate, and the world hates those who follow him as well. We read that in John chapter 15, in verses uh, 18 through 20, where it says, if the world hates you, he's talking to his disciples here, and again, we'll get there in a couple months, but if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If, it be- if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obey my teaching, they will obey yours also. So my question now is like, so does this mean that, that the world is, is Jesus' enemy? Or maybe you flip that around and is Jesus the, the enemy of, of the world? And then maybe if we pro- point that out to ourselves, that is the world our enemy or, or are we an enemy of the world? An enemy we could define easily. We could say it's someone or something who actively opposes you. And as we walk through life, as we walk through our own world, sometimes it feels like the world is opposing us. Sometimes it feels like the world is, is in opposition to us. But usually, usually that opposition, the opposition that we experience, it, it has a face to it. It's attached to, to a person. We don't always feel opposition directly from this social, social and cultural norms, but those social and cultural, cultural norms that are played out in the life of another person. So I guess I'll ask you a question. Do you have an enemy right now? And I, I know my answer would probably be, like, most of our answers are like, no, I can't think of one. Like, I can't think of a, a real enemy, like a nemesis, right? I don't have one of those. It might be cool if I did, but, but if you're not sure, let me actually ask you another question or ask it another way. Who do you resent right now? Who frustrates you right now? Who angers you right now? I ask you that because our enemies are, are often closer to us than then we realize our, our definition of an enemy can be so specific that it would be like this, this evil nemesis, right? That way we could maybe ne- name some of the most evil people in, in history. Like those, that, that's the enemy. But I believe that our, the enemies often end up a lot nearer to us than, than we realize. Last week, or I think it was last week, maybe it was the week before, I was in Freddy's with, with my wife, Natasha, and, and we were just getting a few groceries and getting ready to, to head out, and so we got into the line at the checkout line, and, and like most of us, we try to pick the line that looks like it's going to be the fastest. Nobody wants to stand in, in, in line at, at Freddy's. It's all right. They'll, they'll help you out. Um, none of us want to, to stand in, in line at, at Freddy's, um, and so we picked the, the line that we felt like was the, the fastest, and, and we were just waiting our turn. There was a lady in front of us that didn't have a lot with her, and so it seemed like an appropriate line to pick. And, um, and the, the line next to us, the guy that was in that line, he just shifted. And almost to, like, the lady in, next to in front of us gave kind of a signal, and she's like, come this way. And the guy, he just scooted over with his large cart of items. 
from his line over to his wife's line. Now, I've done that before. Like, my wife, we've done this before. Maybe you have too. If you go, if you go in pairs, like, okay, you take that line and I take the other one, right? And you, and you just wait to see when it's going to be fast and then you switch. But, but it's different when there's people waiting, like, behind you, right? Like, I've never... Like, if you want to become an enemy real fast, just start cutting people in line. Like, if you've ever been to Disneyland, you try to cut in line, it, it, you just know that that's the fastest way to become an enemy. And, it, and here's the thing, is like, they, they weren't truly an enemy, but we, I may have resented them for a minute. I was frustrated with them for a minute, and I was angry with them for a minute. And, and partly because, like, they just saw the situation differently than I did. They didn't have, they had no problem with, with what, the, what they thought was, was right in that situation. Their perspective was different. What they thought was right to do in that situation was, was different. And, and so because of it, they become, in my mind, an enemy, right? Like someone who's in opposition to what I wanted. And so I was, I was frustrated and I probably resented them. Can you see how quickly, like our definition of enemy can be can be spread out pretty broadly. It doesn't take long in our minds for someone to become an, an enemy. And, and honestly, I think, in, I think if we just look at someone who's like an evil nemesis, it's, it's way too narrow of, of a definition of, of what the Lord was talking about when he talks about enemies. Because Jesus is, is pretty clear when he talks about enemies. He says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 he says you have heard it said love your neighbor that makes sense and hate your enemy and sometimes even that feels like it makes sense but I tell you love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your father in heaven you see here Jesus is calling us to love our enemies our enemies at, at every level. Our enemy at, at just the person that maybe I, I resent, who's maybe closer to me than I realize. Because here's the thing. If, if those people in line at Freddy's, they easily could have been followers of Jesus, right? I mean, you might be thinking, well, Jesus would never cut in line. And true. But we often fail at our following of Jesus, right? Like we are rarely, if ever, perfect followers of Jesus. We, we kind of mess that, that thing up. So they easily could have been someone who was, who was on my team, right? And yet it just didn't take long before I rented, resented them because of a different perspective, because a different way of, of living out a social norm. But Jesus says to love our enemies at every level. Love those who oppose um, those who oppose Jesus. Love those who oppose you who follow Jesus. And then love those who follow Jesus who you resent. Love those who even follow Jesus who maybe frustrate or anger you. Love your enemies at, at every level. And what does that kind of love look like? Well, I, lo- I really appreciate how Sky Jatani puts this. Um, he says that the sort of love Christ calls us to engages far more than our emotions. It act- activates our will. Apart from any feelings which few of us can control, real love means to will the good of another person. To love is to act in a manner that is in the best interest of another. To love our enemy, therefore, is to actively seek 
what is in our enemy's best interest. Jesus always insists that the citizens of his kingdom put the interests of others ahead of their own, even when the other person is an enemy. And I think the temptation for us when we begin to talk about this or even when we read a quote like that is then to like point to our enemy and it's like, did you hear him? <laughs> like, did you get that? Like put others' needs ahead of your own. But here's the thing, is that Jesus didn't give this instruction to my enemies. Jesus gave this instruction to me. Jesus didn't give this instruction to the enemies of his disciples. He gave this instruction to his disciples for us to live out love at every level. I recently was, was reading some work by Dallas Willard, and, and he talked about the marks of, of spiritual maturity. And he says that the, the, like the marks of spiritual maturity are, are a Christ-like character, which means like our, we look like Christ. We act like Christ. Our character is, is like Christ. And, and in that, he said that like the number one um, test to, to see if, if you are spiritually mature is this. It's, it's how you would answer um, this question. Is your natural spontaneous response to an enemy love? Is your natural response or your spontaneous response to an enemy, is it love? Because spiritual maturity is demonstrated by the degree to which we love our enemy. Now did you catch that part? Like our reactions our spontaneous responses, our natural way of, of reacting in every situation, it actually reveals our maturity. It reveals our Christ-like character. How I respond when, when I talk with, with my wife or my kids, how I respond in, in traffic, how I respond in, in line at Freddy's, my, my natural response, the first thing that, that my face does the first thing that my mouth does, the first thing that my body or what, whatever my first response is, that's like how you can kind of gauge the level of spiritual maturity you're at. Like your Christ-like character is your most natural response. And to be honest, like my response often is, is farther from Christ-likeness than, than I wish or hoped it would be. But it gives us a, maybe a gauge to consider. See, for Jesus, to go to Judea, to go to Jerusalem like his brothers were encouraging him to do, like he would be walking into enemy territory. There were like nemesises there. Like there were people that were directly and vehemently opposed to him. They were trying to, to kill him. Yet Jesus didn't go there to fight. Rather, he went there to love. And he went there to love his enemies. He actually went there to put his enemies first. It's, it's what Jesus does for us, right? I mean, we've all sinned and, and fallen short of the glory of God. We all have, have put ourselves in, in opposition of God simply by our broken nature and our, and our broken decisions and choices. And yet he was willing to, to send his son because he loved the world so much. And Jesus was willing to, to step into that place to demonstrate love for even, even me and, and even you. You see, I want you to listen to some words that, that Matthew said in chapter um, 28 because 
the time for Jesus had not come. Like this wasn't the right festival for him to, to show up to. It wasn't the right timing. This is the other thing Jesus had talked about was he talked about the world and he talked about timing and this wasn't the right time and there was nothing wrong with the, the festival of, of the tabernacles but this wasn't the, the time that had been planned and prepared for. He was gonna come for another festival, a festival that, that remembered sacrifice, a festival that we talked about already that's called the, the Passover festival that would take place in spring. That was the timing that would come and we read about it in Matthew chapter 28 where it says this, and starting verse 17, it says, on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, which is again the festival of the Passover, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? And listen to what he says. He says, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. This Passover meal, this was the Last Supper, right? This was days before Jesus would be put on trial before Pontius Pilate, days before he would be raised up on the cross and sacrificed for our sins and for our life with him. This was the festival. This was the appointed time that he, was, that he had been waiting for. If he had gone up when his brothers had said, when he had gone up and, and made a power play, if he'd gone up, tried to build influence and tried to raise up more disciples in the way they had described him doing, it would have gone against the timing of God. It would have gone against the will of God. And it wouldn't have been a demonstration of, of love that Jesus was called to demonstrate. You see, I think that's why he went up in, in secret, which seemed a little bit weird, but it, it makes sense because this was the, the, wasn't the time for, for sacrifice yet. He still had things to do and accomplish, but the, the time for sacrificial love had not yet arrived. And to be honest, I think maybe you could agree with this. We often forget that to follow Jesus is to follow his sacrificial love. That the to be most like Jesus is to die to ourselves for the sake of another. To be most like Jesus is to put the interests and needs of others ahead of our own. To be most like Jesus is to specifically love our enemies in this way because it's how he loved us. You know, when Jesus said that, I'm not gonna go to this, I'm not gonna go up to this festival, that word up, it, it, it's not just like directionally, like head north, but it's more like ascension, like where he would be lifted up or elevated up. And, and really it was saying like, like this festival of, of tabernacles is great, but it's when I'm going to go to be lifted up, that's, that's the festival that, that I'm, I'm waiting for. That's the festival that, I, that I'm preparing myself to go to in the days ahead. So as, as I close this morning, I want to give us um, four things to be praying. Now, this could be something you could pray just once today if, as we pray together. Maybe this is something you pray for the next few days or the next few weeks or over the next month. Or maybe this is something you pray over the next year. It was a prayer, actually a list of four things to pray for. I came across this week from a, a pastor that I follow. His name is Dan Ryland. I just felt like it fit, honestly, in my own life. But I also felt like it fit perfectly with what we were talking about today. And here's the, the first of the four things is, is to pray, Lord, change me first. 
You see, we can get so focused on, on the world, we can get so focused on our enemies both near and far that we, begin, we forget to realize that, that the change that we want to see happen often needs to happen with us first. In Psalm 139, it says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We start by praying, Lord, change me first. And then the second prayer would be, Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done. And this is familiar, right? This is part of the Lord's prayer. This is how Jesus taught us to pray. And when I pray the Lord's prayer, when I get to that phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done, I pray for seven specific things, things that I believe are are markers of the kingdom, things that I believe are are signposts of of the kingdom come and the Lord's will being done on earth. And those are joy and healing and peace and salvation and belonging, God's presence, and justice. Like we, these are the things that, that we hope to see as God's kingdom comes on earth, but these are things that we can be praying into our world and, I can, and praying into our homes, into our communities as we pray your kingdom come and your will be done. The third thing to pray for is, is that grace and truth would interrupt and overtake hate and division. Man, I can't think of a better prayer to start a new year, and maybe specifically this new year in. Lord, may grace and truth interrupt and overtake hate and division in our homes and families, in our neighborhoods and communities, in our nation and world, and honestly, in the church, in the body of Christ, maybe in in a local church, but certainly when we look at at the body of Christ across our own country and across the world. Lord, may grace and truth interrupt and overtake hate and division. And then the fourth thing would be, Lord, grant waves of the miraculous. I, I mean, do you, do you believe in miracles? That sounds like the, the line. <laughs> but do you believe in, in miracles? Have you ever experienced one? Have you ever prayed for one? Like, I would love to, to see just a, a wave of the miraculous in the year to come. And I would love to see healings. I'd love to see all the things we prayed for in, in marks of the kingdom. But you know what I think would be miraculous? Is if these first three things actually came to be. Lord, that you would change me first. Lord, that your kingdom come and your will would be done. And Lord, that grace and truth would interrupt and overtake hate and division. Those would be some miracles. So I just want to encourage you as we head into the beginning of this year, like, like these are some ways that we can be actively participating with God in, in bringing a new, for lack of a better word, a new year into being. So would you stand with me? We're going to close in prayer and then we're going to sing one more song. But would you stand with me as we pray? Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your church. We thank you that we can gather in your name, that we can follow you together. Jesus, we thank you that you demonstrated love for for all people and for every person, including your enemies, when you traveled to the cross, when you gave up your life, when you put all other people ahead of your own. Lord Jesus, I pray that as as we head into a, a new day and a new week and a new year, that we might step into an opportunity Uh, to love as you love, to love people at every level. Lord, and and I just echoed these, these four prayers that we talked about this morning, that you would change 
me and us first. Jesus, we pray your kingdom come and your will be done. We pray, Jesus, that your grace and your truth, that it would interrupt and it would overtake hate and division. And Jesus, we pray that you would grant waves of the miraculous in the days ahead. Lord, may these be opportunities where we can trust you, where we can believe in you, where we can have confident hope in you, and where we can demonstrate our fidelity to you. Lord, would you equip us with your Holy Spirit to do that in the days ahead. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. often leave this place I often say that we aren't leaving the the presence of God we're not leaving the presence of Jesus when we leave this place but we actually are taking the presence of God with us as we go and and what we're taking with us today and every day is is the love of Christ like that that love for for both friend and foe from family and and enemy is is the presence of God that we can take into our homes into our communities into our workplaces so God bless you as you take the presence of Jesus the love of God into your homes and workplaces this week. We can't wait to see you again. Have a good day.